You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. Grab your Bible and prepare for preaching from the Word of God from Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bible, turn it to the book of Galatians, chapter 2. We've been studying through the book of Galatians uh, verse by verse on Sunday nights. Uh, if you missed any of the messages so far, you can always get caught up on our website at huikala.org or subscribe to our podcast. Whatever you do, uh, don't miss out on these messages uh, as they've been a help to us. Paul, uh, this is message number 12 in this series. Paul is uh, writing to refute false teaching. Uh, some folks called the Judaizers had come into the, uh, the church and said, oh, it's good that you follow Jesus, but you also need to keep the uh, Levitical law. You need to be circumcised. You need to keep all the feast days. You need to make sure that you keep all the dietary restrictions in place that we found in the Old Testament. But you can still follow Jesus at the same time. And so Paul uh, writes a letter and says, nope, these guys got to stop it. We can't have the gospel plus anything. Uh, the gospel plus anything ruins the gospel. Uh, and so we cannot have that. And so Paul writes a, a pretty scathing letter, I guess you could say, uh, to the churches at Galatia. Uh, this letter wasn't written to an individual church. It was written to a group of churches uh, that he sent the letter to. And it's a harsh letter. It's a hard read. Uh, but it's important because the doctrine that Paul's fighting for in this case is the most important doctrine in all of the Bible, the doctrine of the gospel. Now, everything ties back to the gospel. We can say things like uh, the um, preservation of scripture is an important doctrine and it certainly is but why is the preservation of scripture important because it preserves the gospel for us uh, the virgin birth of christ definitely a hugely important doctrine but here's the problem if it weren't the virgin birth of christ we would have no gospel uh things along those lines the uh, deity of christ the fact that jesus christ was god that's a, a critical non-negotiable doctrine for us as bible believing christians but why because it ties back to the gospel Every major doctrine of the Bible ties back to the gospel in some form or another. That's why it's so important. So when Satan himself attacks the gospel, Paul pulls out all the stops and lets them, uh, has a fire-breathing letter towards them saying, hey guys, starts off the chapter, hey guys, I'm shocked that you're so soon removed from the truth of the gospel and you followed after another gospel, which is not really another gospel, it's a fake gospel. Man, he just lights them up from chapter one. Uh, we found ourselves in chapter two. Uh, we took a look at a couple of weeks ago the uh, problem that uh, Peter and uh, Paul had uh, when Peter didn't want to associate with the folks who were new Christians and Gentiles uh, at the church in Antioch there and separated itself from them. Uh, and, and Paul rebuked him as a result of it. Uh, then Paul goes on uh, throughout this passage and talks about how we are justified. We're justified not by the works of the law, but by Christ himself. And in the middle of all this, uh, this, this long speech that Paul gives about justification, not through the law, but through Christ alone, is one of the most power-packed verses in all of the Bible that will absolutely revolutionize your Christian life if you will apply it. And I don't say that with hyperbole, like this is one of the most important verses. I'm talking about if you want to change your life, apply this verse, and, and it'll, you'll never be the same again, I promise you that. And so last week when we read through this verse, we can't just read through it and apply it to, to, to the passage there. We really need an entire message to just dissect this verse here. I'm, uh, I, I struggled putting together this particular message because I didn't want to miss it. 
Because this verse here is so critical, Galatians chapter 2, verse number 20. It's so critical to our faith. It's so critical to right Christian living. It's the verse that's going to give power to the Christian who's kind of on the fence of either living for Christ or living for the world. And I don't want to do it a disservice by presenting a weak message or leaving out something that's really important from it. So for me, I prayed a lot about this message. I studied a lot. Uh, and what you get tonight probably isn't half of the power that comes from this verse. Uh, but the, the idea here is the power is found in the verse itself. I could almost read this verse for you tonight and, and close with a word of prayer and we would get something solid out of it. Uh, Galatians chapter two, verse number 20. Again, the context here is Paul saying, you can't be justified by the works of the law. You must be justified by faith, by grace, by the blood of Christ alone. Justification is the sin of mankind placed upon Jesus Christ. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ placed upon sinful man so that we are legally deemed righteous in the sight of God, not based on what we have done, the works of the law, but what Christ has done for us, the righteousness of Christ. But again, this verse is the verse you should circle, you should star, you should underline in your Bible. You should commit this to memory. You should put it on a three-by-five card. You should meditate on it this week. Uh, you should uh, begin to think about practically how this verse will change your own personal life on a day-to-day -day basis. Galatians chapter 2, verse number 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Verse 21 goes on to say, I do not frustrate the grace of God for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. I mentioned last week the act, the idea that Paul's saying in verse number 21, Christ's death was worthless. If we just took that statement on its own, Christ's death was worthless, would be one of the most blasphemous statements that one could possibly make in the history of mankind. Jesus died for no reason. That statement alone uh, should send chills down any Bible-believing Christian's spine. But that's what Paul's saying if we're justified by the law. So the law could not save. It could only point to our need for a savior. Christ had to save. The Galatians chapter two, verse number 20. Oh man, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. It's interesting. This is not a statement of boasting of, on Paul's part, but a statement of humility and gratitude. Paul's not saying, hey, you guys need to come get on my level because I don't even live the way that I used to anymore. He says, oh no, no, no. I recognize that Paul tried to be justified by the law. I recognize that Paul tried to keep the law. I recognize that Paul really made a mess of this whole thing of called life. But man, the day that I was crucified with Christ, that's when I began to live. And this is not a statement of boasting. This is not a statement of, hey, look how good I am. It's a statement of humility. I, Paul really blew it and he had to be put to death. Paul had to die so that Christ could live. It's a statement of gratitude. He recognizes where he came from. He recognizes where he's going to. And friend, let me just tell you this. The moment in the Christian life where you feel like God got a good deal when he got a hold of you is the, the moment that everything goes sideways. The moment that you feel like, I'm a pretty good Christian. And I think I got this whole thing called the Christian life licked. I think I got it whipped. I think I can handle it from here on out. Know this, you're setting yourself up for failure. But when we come to the cross daily, that's why I love the song we sang last, Lead Me to Calvary. Lest I forget Gethsemane. I don't wanna forget the fact that Jesus Christ sat in the garden 
and he, he sweat great drops of blood and he cried out to the Father. He said, Father, it's not my will but yours and if there's any other way to do this, I'd appreciate it to do it that way but I just want your will to be done. Lest I forget Gethsemane. Lest I forget his agony upon the cross. The pain that he endured physically. Lest I forget his love for me. That he would be willing to take my sin, my shame, the wrath of God. The greatest pain that Christ endured on the cross was not the physical suffering. You know why? Because there were two other guys that got crucified the same way, the same day, in the same place. Oh, the physical suffering was terrible. It was one of the, one of the most excruciating, where the term came from, ways to die. But it wasn't the physical pain that was the agony that Christ felt that day. It was the weight of the sins of the entire world placed upon his shoulder. The fact that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God. That's where the pain came in. And the fact that he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That God actually turned his back on his only son because he became sin and God can't have any fellowship, no communion with sin. And he turned his back on his own son. And Paul recognized that, and he says, you know what, I'm crucified too. You see, Christ put my sin to death, and my sinful man died with him. So much power in the cross. We purposely, at who we call it, don't have a cross on display anywhere. It's funny, sometimes people, especially depending on their church background, they come from those, why don't we have any crosses here? Why don't we have any stained glass here? Why don't we have this or that here? Because oftentimes people look at the cross itself, the two pieces of wood that are crossed, and they begin to feel some type of drawing or some type of uh, mystical power that comes from uh, two pieces of wood that are crossed together or a, a big silver cross somewhere, or some ornate cross in some way or, or another. Okay, the power is not found in the furniture itself. The power is found upon the one who died upon it and everything that that meant for us. That's where the power comes from. And hey, if you, if you want to wear a cross necklace or a cross bracelet or something like that, I, I'm not going to stop you from doing that. But you need to remember what that cross means. It's not a cute piece of jewelry. If you want to wear a, a, a cross bracelet or a cross necklace because of what it means to you, for the person who died upon it, by all means, take whatever reminder you need. You want to wear, wear a little rubber band around your, your, your bracelet that says, what would Jesus do? By all means, do that. But let's never forget the power that's found in the cross of Jesus Christ and everything that that meant for us. My sin was put to death once and for all on that cross. Paul says, that day that I put my faith and trust in Christ, my sin and my sinful man died with him. You see, Jesus dies so that my sinful man could die. This statement really kind of walks us through the gospel itself. The day that Christ died, he made it possible for my sinful man to be put to death. I was talking to the singles on uh, Friday night. We had the opportunity to meet. We were talking about who we are in Christ and things like that. And I came up, uh, I've been thinking about and praying. And I came through with what I thought was a really witty statement. It really wasn't all that witty, but it was, it was, it was powerful to me that the devil reminds you who you were. Your flesh tells you who you want to be, but the Bible tells me who I am and who I need to be. You know, the devil wants to say, oh, you, you'll never make it. You're a loser. You've always been a loser. You're gonna struggle with this, and you've always struggled with this sin. And you remember that one time that you thought you had it whipped and then it came back and bit you? Yeah, you remember that? That's who you are, and you'll never go forward. But you know what I know about my sin? Jesus Christ has put it to death once and for all, and I'm not the person that I used to be. 
oh, I'll fail all sin. I will continue to struggle against sin. But my sin has been defeated once and for all at the cross. Christ arose so that I can arise into a new life. Romans chapter six tells us that, that we are raised to walk in newness of life. That as Christ was crucified, my sinful man died with him, but just as Christ did not stay dead, my sinful man stayed dead, but I now am alive in a new life in Christ. I accepted Christ as Savior when I was nine years old, and I hadn't committed any great egregious sins by nine years old, but I recognized I had broken God's law and I needed to be saved, and I was saved that day. I remember hearing a pastor preach, uh, uh, I was probably in my 20s or so, and he began to talk about you know, the fact that the day you were saved, all your sin was wiped away, and you became a new creature that day and a new man that day. And I thought to myself, I didn't need a new man when I was nine, I needed a new man when I was 19, you know? I didn't need all my sin washed away and wiped away when I was nine, I needed it when I was 21. Oh man, I'm thinking like, I messed this whole thing up. I should have, I don't know, waited till later. And then I realized, that my sin is forever settled, that my sin's no longer on my account like ever, ever. I realize that I'm not a new man at nine. I'm a new man every single day because of what Christ has done. Because Christ is risen, my new man, my new life that I have is risen that I get to walk in every single day. And every day is a new opportunity to live for Christ. Christ ascended so that I can be with him in eternity. I not only have a promise of a new life here because of the cross and the gospel, I now have a promise of a new home in heaven one day. I'm excited about the fact that I get to spend eternity with Christ because he has risen, because he has ascended. The Bible says we now have our inheritance in heavenly places as a result of what Christ has done for us. I'm pumped about that. But that's who I am because my old man is dead. I'm walking in newness of life with Christ and one day, I'll get a new body and a brand new eternal life with Christ in heaven. I love what Paul says in here. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And Paul says the old man is dead, only Jesus is alive here. The old Anthony King died a long time ago and he needs to be put to death every single day so that the new Anthony King, and more importantly, Christ can live through me in my new life. The old man is dead, only Jesus is alive here. But this life is no longer about my flesh, but it's about my faith. I'm no longer looking for what I can do to uh, stimulate my flesh. I'm looking for ways that I can grow my faith. It's a big paradigm shift from the way that I used to think to the way that I think now. And again, this paradigm shift didn't happen when I was nine. It probably happened when I was about 25 that I decided to stop living for myself and start living for Jesus. And unfortunately, there's people probably in this room here tonight that have chosen to accept Christ as Savior and you're thankful that you're saved here tonight, but you haven't yet chosen to fully commit your life to Christ and give him every area of your life that it belongs to him and whatever he wants you to do, you're willing to do it. And I'm telling you, that's where you find the greatest joy in life, passionately pursuing Christ it's not about what I want. It's not about what I can get out of it. It's now about what I can do to grow my faith. How are you growing in your faith? I want to encourage you to continue to grow. 
our flesh will, will automatically take care of itself. My flesh will feed on whatever it can find automatically. But I have to choose to feed my spirit. I have to choose to grow my faith. Do you know that no one's ever accidentally grew their faith? It just doesn't happen that way. <laughs> Angel and I, when we got married, uh, I was in fairly decent physical condition at the time. I was going to the gym a couple hours a day even while we were dating. Uh, we got married, I stopped going to the gym. And my wife started cooking dinner every night. I thought, man, I no longer have to live on like Totino's party pizzas and Hot Pockets. This is glorious. And I began to gain a little weight. Not a lot, maybe a pound and a half or so a month. And you don't really feel that until you wake up 10 years from then and you're 100 pounds heavier than you were the day you got married. And you're just like, wow, how did I get so fat? I just very slowly, unintentionally got fat over the course of 10 years. Nobody has ever unintentionally, slowly, over the course of 10 years, gotten closer to God. It just ha doesn't happen that way. You will drift from God unintentionally. You have to intentionally choose to feed your faith. Paul had to intentionally choose, my old man is dead, I'm crucified with Christ, and I don't live anymore, Christ lives through me. It's not about my flesh anymore. It's not about what I want. It's not about what makes me happy. It's not about where I can find contentment. It's not about where I can find out what pushes my buttons. It's finding out how I can grow to be more like Christ. You see, we run into problems when we view the Christian life from what we can get from it. When I think that the Christian life exists for me or for what I can get from it, we run into problems because our life is not about us. It's about the glory of God. Again, talking with our singles on Friday night, I told them probably eight years or so ago, um, Angel and I were living in uh, Southern California. We had uh, just bought a house there, a uh, 3,000 square foot house with a three-car garage. Uh, I mean, this, this house was ridiculously large. Uh, I mean, and we, we bought it because the housing market fell out. Uh, some folks didn't pay their mortgage, and we were able to get in and buy it from the bank. And incredible deal that we got on the house. But our bedroom that we had is probably, I don't know, half the size of our house that we have now. Uh, the, just the bedroom. And the bedroom had what they called a, a master retreat on it or something like that. I don't even know what it's called. But basically, we could have parked two full-size cars in the area of our bedroom that we didn't use. It was like one of those houses that was so big you had to like buy furniture to fill it up, not because you needed it, because you got all this wasted space otherwise. We just built, put up a basketball goal in the backyard. We just bought a dog. You know, we were getting ready to spend our first Christmas there, and we were just like, hey, this is where we're going to live for the rest of our lives. We made it, you know? And um, I began, I was reading some books that were challenging my faith and in a good way and encouraged me to do more for the cause of Christ. I was reading my Bible and reading through the Gospels and I was getting really fired up about what God was doing in my life. And I asked myself this question. I told the single adults, this is a question that will absolutely change your life if you're willing to follow out whatever you come up with. If we exist for God's glory, and we do, that's the purpose of your life. You ask yourself the question, God, how can I maximize your glory in my life in a way that only I can? How can I maximize your glory in my life in a way that only I can? And you know what the answer for me to that question was? Plan a church in a place where somebody says it can't be done. That was it. That was the answer to, to my question. That's why you're sitting here tonight because I asked myself that question, God, how can you maximize your glory in a unique way in my life in a way that only I can fulfill? And it's why, why we're here tonight. <laughs> it was the most challenging thing that I'd ever done up to that point in my life. But I'm telling you this, the payoff from that 
I couldn't quantify it. I couldn't begin to tell you how I've seen God bless our family because we chose to do that because we decided it's not about us, it's not about our flesh, it's not about what we want, it's about Christ through us. It's not about what we can accomplish, it's about what Christ could do through us. I don't have what it takes to plant a church in the middle of a city where people say it can't be done, but I know that Christ in me could accomplish it. I don't have what it takes to to reach a city for Christ. I'm I'm not smart enough. But Christ through me could do that. And it's not about what I can get from the Christian life. It's about what I can give with my life for the glory of God. You see, legally, my sin is dead That's what the whole purpose of this passage is, our legal justification before God. But practically, I must choose to put my sin to death daily. It's important to understand the context of this because if you don't understand what this verse is saying, you'll get tripped up, you'll get discouraged, and you'll want to quit. Paul's saying, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ in me. Paul is not saying, I will never sin again for the rest of my life. He says, the sinful man legally is put to death with Christ on the cross. And now Christ can do something through me that he never could before. Practically, you're gonna fight against sin every single day until the day that you die. I was talking with a friend before church tonight, uh, and there was a, a group of, uh, of Christians that had split off from the Methodists in the early 1900s called the Holiness Movement. And they really believed that you could uh, get to a place in your life, in the Christian life, where you would no longer sin. And they called it the second blessing. You'd receive the second blessing from the Holy Spirit and you would be holy and sinless and you'd never sin again for the rest of your life. I thought to myself, man, how do I get that for my kids, right? Man, that would be a blessing, wouldn't it? I don't want it for myself. Give it to my kids, you know? Uh, but it, that, that's just not the case. Paul's not saying, I'm never gonna sin again. You know what he is saying in is the legal ramifications for my sin have been put to death once and for all. It's paid in full. And now I get to allow Christ to live through me. I couldn't do that before. Why? Because I was in the penalty of my sin. Christ could not live through me because I had a death sentence on my head. But the second that I died, I became alive again. And now Christ can live through me. But again, we must personally, practically, every single day choose to die to our sin. I got a choice when I wake up tomorrow. Will I live for Christ or will I live for myself? I got a choice when sin presents itself. Will I take a second look and a gander and then begin to think about it or will I run from sin and flee from it? I got a choice to make, but I have to make it every single day. It's not gonna be automatic for us. Bottom part of uh, verse number 20, I love this. Now I live in the... uh, In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, Jesus proved his love by giving himself to put my sinful man to death. This is a proof of God's love for us. It's interesting, we often talk about God's love and when you think of the love of God, our thoughts immediately go to John 3.16. And I've heard people say before, you know, John 3.16, for God so loved the world And then if you were the only person in the world, God would have gave his son for you, and that certainly is a true statement. I don't disagree with that. Sometimes people would even go so far as to say, well, when you get to the world, put your name there. For God so loved Anthony that he gave his only begotten son. Make it personal to the person that you're sharing the gospel with. I don't necessarily disagree with that. I think we need to be cautious with that. 
Because if we begin to shape a theology where God is all about me and what he's done for me and he exists to keep me from going to hell and he exists because he loves me and he just wants to give me good gifts and he just wants to take care of me, then who begins to be the center of the story of the Bible? Me. God exists for me. That couldn't be more opposite of the story of the Bible. The fact of the matter is you and I are one of 7.5 billion people on the planet right now. The Bible says this in the book of Isaiah, all the nations are as a drop in the bucket to God. Fascinating thought right there, that you and I are are not a drop in the bucket, we're one 7.5 billionth of a drop in the bucket. But God chooses to love us anyhow. But Paul's not talking about here that universally God loves the world which is a true statement. He's saying, God loved me. And he gave his son, not for the world, but he gave his son for me. And that gives us permission to make the gospel personally applicable to us. Jesus died because of his love for you and his desire for you to put your sinful man to death. This is not God's love for the world. This is not John three sixteen love for God. So love the world broadly. This is not a generic universal love. This is not Jesus giving his life for the sins of mankind, which the Bible says he certainly did. He died in place of sinners. Romans 5, 8 tells us God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us collectively, the sinners collectively. This is not that kind of love here. This is Jesus' death for me personally, who gave his life for me personally. Not a universal love, not a love for mankind, a love for me personally. Please don't ever forget this. Jesus loved you and died for you, specifically, personally. But don't forget too, tomorrow when you go to work, that neighbor that you got, it's just two cubicles down that grinds on your gears. Jesus died for them too. The person that's in front of you at Starbucks, Jesus died for them. Your neighbor who didn't take down their Christmas lights yet, Jesus loves them. And while he loves the world collectively, he died for individuals. He died for sinners. He died for you and I. Don't ever Forget that. Three final thoughts and we're done. First of all, the Christian life is not about me living for Jesus, but Jesus living through me. So many times we think to ourselves, well, if I could get this whole Christian thing going, if I could get the ball rolling, then I could really do something for Jesus. This verse here tells us that it's not so much of the things that we do for Jesus, but it's actually allowing Jesus to live through me. This, this, this could be a paradigm shift for a lot of folks. This could be something that actually rocks your world, this truth here. The fact that it's not about you doing for Jesus, it's actually just sitting back and allowing him to do through you. I had the opportunity to meet some of uh, uh, Brian Anderson's family while they were here at the wedding, just great folks. And they were all saying, you know, oh man, you, you've done so much for Brian, you've been such a blessing. This church, man, Brian just talks, goes on and on about this church. And I have the same statement for anybody who says this church is great. First of all, it's an incredible church. I've never been a part of a better church than this in my entire life. I say we're the best church since the book of Acts, and I really believe that's a true statement. 
But here's what I say. Hey, God does the work. We just get to show up. That couldn't be more true of a statement. What makes our church great? The fact that the people of this church are incredible. And I've heard people say, I've never been to a more friendly church. I've never been to a more loving church. Heard one of our folks say this week, you know, I've been in churches my whole life. I've never been in a church as good as this one. And I believe that beyond a shadow of a doubt. I feel that. And if I weren't the pastor of this church, I'd be a member of this church because this, the, the people here are just incredible. But what, what makes us great people? Just the fact that we're just a bunch of good dudes and a bunch of good gals? No, it's Christ living through us. God did the work. We just show up. We just love people the way that Jesus would love people and everything works out. That's crazy. What, what do I do? Here's the thing. I don't even have a really structured outline here tonight. I'm, I'm probably, when it comes to homiletics and, and forming a message that would be homiletically correct, and some of you, please don't Google what that means because then you'll hate my preaching, okay? But if like you sat through a class on like how to put together a message, like this, this is like first grade level kind of stuff here, right? I saw my son Vanderlei a few weeks ago. Uh, they had a... Uh, junior senior banquet that they had they had best dressed and funniest and cutest couple and stuff like that and he says dad i think the whole thing was rigged and i go why do you think because the kid that won best dress his outfit was all jacked up and it was all messed up it is mismatched he wasn't even wearing a jacket like i think the whole thing was rigged and the people that got stuff he's like it just didn't fit it just didn't feel right i felt like it was rigged i think i think i got robbed <laughs> okay fair Life happens that way sometimes. It doesn't really always work out the way that you want it to. And I said, when, uh, when I was a, a senior in college, uh, Bible college, I said, they, they had a, a preaching competition every year. I think they call it like the preaching marathon now or something like that. It's not a competition. Uh, but it's like basically you get five minutes to come and present a message, and you're like one of like 300 guys that gets to preach. You know, and you get your five-minute slot, and they got to judge, and they got a scorecard and everything, stuff like that. And so if you make it through the first round of cuts, they have like, you know, 150 guys come back and preach the second round, and then they cut it down to like 25 the last round, and then the last five final guys get to preach at graduation, right? So out of these 300 guys that got to preach, you know where I ranked in that? I didn't even make the first cut. And some of you are like, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's, it's, it's funny. And you know what? Who's laughing? I'm not. I mean, I'm not. A, nobody ever accused me of being a, a deep theological thinker. Nobody ever accused me of having messages that are so hard to follow because they're so incredibly deep. Hey, a, a fifth grader with a Bible could have put together an outline probably better than I had tonight. You know what the, the truth of that is? It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about allowing God's word to do its work. Hey, here's what the Bible says, and people grow from that. I've gotten a dozen either texts or emails or stuff like that about what we talked about over the last several weeks on marriage. People saying, oh, that helped me. That was, that was deep. That was good. We had so many good family discussions on marriage and headship and submission as a result of that. <laughs> I think to myself, like, it's just the Bible. This is not deep stuff. Men, be men. Lead your family well, like Jesus. Women, trust your husbands the way that you would trust Jesus. I don't know. Is that deep? It's deep because the Bible's deep, not because of me. We just get to show up and allow Christ to live through us. And I'm telling you this, if you decide to die to yourself, which will be the best decision you've ever made in your entire life, and allow Christ to live through you, you'll be shocked by the things that God does through you. Shocked. Because it's not about me living for Jesus, it's about Christ living through me. Next. It's no longer about me, it's all about Jesus. 
Paul didn't really like to throw his name around if he didn't have to. There were times where people actually denied Paul's authority. Take, for example, 2 Corinthians, when he wrote a letter back to the church at Corinth, there were false teachers there that didn't really like Paul. Paul wrote and said, I'm Paul, an apostle. I want you to know who I am. Here in the book of Galatians, right? Paul, an apostle, not of men. I don't need your stamp of authority. Paul didn't really like throwing his name around unless he had to. But here, you know what Paul says? Paul really doesn't amount to a hill of beans because Paul's dead, only Christ's alive here. If I have to throw my name out there with the word apostle attached to it to get you to listen up to what I have to say, I'll do that. But really, at the end of the day, Paul doesn't live anymore. Only Jesus is alive here because it's not about Paul anymore. When you and I are willing to get over ourselves and what other people think of us and set our pride to the side and allow Christ to live through us, we'll then begin to see the power of the transformed life. When I'm not making a name for me or what people think about me, I just want Jesus to be praised, we'll be doing all right. But you see so many people wanna know what can I get out of the Christian life? What's in it for me? So if I put my faith and trust in Christ, that means I don't have to go to hell, right? Right. What else do I get? The Holy Spirit? What does that do for me? Just like, oh, you're coming at this from the wrong angle. This is not gonna work. Because the Christian life isn't what God can do for me. It's not about me anymore. The second I decided to put my faith and trust in Christ, my old man died. The second that I decided to be a surrendered, committed, real deal Christian, my name was scratched off, and Jesus' name is on display now. You know the interesting thing about that is? When it's not about me and it's all about Jesus, I begin to care less what people think about me and more what people think about Jesus. Hey, you don't like me, that's fine. Not that big of a deal, I don't need a lot of friends. But I want you to think a lot of Jesus. Hey, if you don't like our church, our church isn't for everybody, I get that. (laughs) <laughs> the, the new thing now when people leave and I say, hey, did you get a chance to fill out your connection card? They go, oh no, I'm gonna do it online. And then they never do. That's the new thing. Uh, that's how I get ghosted these days. All uh, right, oh, I'll do it online. And then it never comes through. It's just like, oh. But uh, hey, our church isn't for everybody. That's okay. But I want you to think a lot about Jesus. Hey, who we call is not a good fit for you? Great. Just think a lot about Jesus. If we do that, we're okay. If you come here and you don't agree with what we teach and you leave here, that's fine. But I want you to be able to say these two things. Those people loved me, and I know about Jesus now. Simple as that. You know why? Because it's not about me, it's not about you, it's not about the name that's on the sign of this church. It's about Jesus. That's it. And I'm telling you this, that will be one of the most liberating truths you've ever experienced in your entire life. You know why? Because I don't have to make a name for myself anymore. I don't have to be anything anymore. I just have to live for Jesus. I have a love-hate relationship with social media. It's more probably hate than love these days. Uh, But I realize it's an opportunity to influence people. So for whatever reason, we hang on to it for a little while and we post stuff on Facebook on our church Facebook page from time to time. And I'll I'll post stuff on Instagram that I think might be an encouragement to folks and stuff like that. But honestly, uh, I really don't care what people think about me or what I got going on. Or I know nobody cares what I had for lunch because I don't care what you had for lunch. Stop taking pictures of it. I'm greatly concerned about what people think about Jesus, though. Greatly concerned. And I want you to be less concerned about what people think about you and more greatly concerned about what people think about Jesus. This is why I want to protect my testimony, too. 
You know why? Because it's not just my name. It's the name of Jesus. It's on my testimony. Hey, somebody sees me somewhere I shouldn't be. It's not my name only. It's the testimony of Jesus too. I say something I shouldn't say or act in a way I shouldn't act. Hey, that's not just my name. It's the name of Jesus. Hey, the places I go, people know I'm a Christian. And when I do something that's inappropriate, now it's not my name that's being damaged, it's the name of Christ. So now you look at that and you go, well, that's why I don't want to be like an out Christian, you know. I'm be kind of like behind the scenes Christian, like a, like a ninja Christian, right? Like nobody knows, silent, but deadly, right? No, it doesn't work that way. But here's the thing. If you're willing to be an out Christian, like Paul says you should be in Romans chapter one, verse number 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power and the salvation. I'm not ashamed of being a Christian. We should get like Christian pride church, right? Christian pride. But then pride's a sin, so we need like church to say Christian humility, right? But then if you have to tell people you're humble, are you really humble? <laughs> I don't, it's confusing, right? Like, mm, what do we do with that, right? But hey, I'm gonna be an out there Christian, but if I do that, I gotta make sure that my life lives up to the name of Jesus. And so some Christians, unfortunately, would say, well, I'm just not gonna put, my, put that out there then because I know I couldn't live up to it. But let me challenge you tonight to be a Christian who say, hey, I'm gonna put myself out there as a Christian and I know I can't live up to it, so I have to die so Christ can live through me. That's what I'm gonna do. That's how I can live up to it, by me putting myself to death and allowing Christ to live through me. Then I can make much of the name of Jesus. That's the good stuff right there. Final thought. I don't want people to see me. I want them to see Jesus. Christ through me. It's not about my life, not about what I can accomplish. It's all about Jesus. When I'm dead and gone, I want people to remember Jesus was really important to me. I want them to remember that I walked with integrity and honesty, that I cared for people, that I loved people. When I die, I want people to be able to say, hey, I didn't agree with what he believed, but man, the dude was serious about living it out. He was a real deal. Yep, that was it. You know why? Because that makes the name of Jesus great. Hey, when I'm dead and gone, please don't sit around and cry and weep and show these terrible slideshows with sad music, okay? You know what you need to do? You need to get together and find somebody who will stand up and preach the gospel and say people, to people, this guy gave his life for this and this is why it's important to you. They go out there and live for Jesus. Don't make it about me. It ain't about me. It's all about Jesus. And I don't want people to see me. I want people to see Jesus through me. Probably one of the coolest things that's happened to me in a long time. Um, I was at the gym, I mean, probably three months ago. And uh, the gym owner there is not a Christian. I've been witnessing to him for, man, probably three plus years now. Uh, he came on Open House Sunday last year. Uh, it was our, I told him it was our five-year anniversary. He cannot miss this Sunday. He's like, all right, it's a big deal. I'll come. Uh, and uh, he hasn't come back since, and that's fine. Uh, but he knows I'm a Christian. And so he said, hey, there's a guy here at the gym who said he's going through some kind of spiritual rebirth. Uh, and I think you need to talk to him. I told him, hey, I know this guy who's a pastor and you need to talk to him. And I go, man, it sounds great. And so uh, I meet the guy and begin talking to him. And I said, my name's Anthony. He said, my name's Jotty. He just moved here from, from New York. Uh, he said, for work. He said, I got some things going on right now in my life that God's doing through me. And he said, uh, you know, just, uh, Brian told me that I need to meet you. Said, awesome. We began to talk for a little bit. Uh, I, said, uh, I said, hey, I said, give me your number. I'll shoot you a text message with information about our church. He goes, great. 
Uh, and so he gave me his number, uh, and I texted him, and he walked out the door, and then uh, texted and said, hey, this is Pastor Anthony. Here's the information for our church. And I got a text back saying, wrong number. And I was just like, oh, that's terrible. Like, getting wrong numbers at the gym. Can you believe that? And so I thought, man, I'll never see the guy again. Shows up like three weeks later on a Sunday morning. And he never left. And I thought to myself, why is that a cool story? Because a guy who's not a Christian knew that I was a Christian. And when he met a guy who said that he was on a spiritual journey, he wanted to connect him with me. Why? Because I've tried for three plus years to let him see Jesus through me. And I've tried to live a consistently Christian lifestyle in everybody that I meet. And man, Jody was here yesterday at the wedding helping set up and usher and stuff. He didn't know we even tell him what to do. He just showed up and started going to work. He was here at church this morning. A dude signed up for discipleship starting on Wednesday night. Why? because somebody tried to live with Christ through them. Simple as that. Me, do I get credit for that? Heavens no. You know why? Because Anthony's dead. Only person alive here is Jesus. I get zero credit for that. I just allowed Christ to live through me. And that's not a feather in my cap. That's glory to God for that. Anything good that's ever taken place at who we call a Baptist church didn't happen because you or I did something great. It's because we allowed Christ to work through us. That dude that got saved this morning, you know what happened? Christ was working through a coworker who brought him to church. Christ was working through someone else who asked him if he knew for sure if he died, he was on his way to heaven, and he said no. Christ was working through another person who took the gospel and took time and shared truth with him, and then he came to Christ. Why? Works of the law, righteousness which he had done, heavens no. Because of Christ living through us is the only way that we can be justified. I'm thankful that that man this morning, his old sinful man was put to death and he was legally deemed righteous before God because of the blood of Christ and his faith in Jesus. Man, what an amazing truth. You want to unlock power in your Christian life? Christ through you. You want to see God do the, this is going to sound crazy and don't get weirded out by this word. You want to see God do the supernatural in your life? The word supernatural means defies human logic and reasoning supernatural it's big i don't want god to do average things i want god to do big things but how does that work maybe i should work harder maybe i should do more maybe i should try harder no how about i just die get out of the way and allow christ to live through me trust me he can do much more with your life than you could ever possibly hope to attain but some of you are, are still riding the fence my old man's dead mostly on the weekends, but he comes alive a little bit during the week. Mm -mm, never gonna work. You have to let your sinful man die and you gotta let your sin lay. Well, I'm willing to let Christ live through me most of the time, but I don't wanna, I don't wanna really go all the way because then crazy things will happen. Hey, that's not allowing Christ to live through you. Hey, maybe I could just do more for Jesus. No, 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 you just need to stop doing and allow Christ to start being in you. Change your life. Let's look at that passage one more time. We'll read it tonight. We'll be done. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you're here tonight and you don't know for sure that you're saved, there's never been a time in your life where you've been born again. You cannot allow Christ to live inside of you while your sin still resides there. You must put your sinful man to death. 
There must be a point in time in your life where you put your faith and trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior and be born again. Just as I was born on June the 12th, 1977, I have a time, date, and place when I was born. You must have a time, date, and place where you are born again. You put your faith and trust in Christ as your Savior. And friend, if you are not saved, you will not go to heaven. Simple as that. Jesus says, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. No man shall see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. If you're here tonight, you do not know for sure that your sins are forgiven. Please do not walk out those doors before you do. But for those of us that are saved, let's stop trying to live for Jesus and just allow Christ to live through us. Let's just stop trying to be more religious or try to be more Christian. Just allow God to have full control in our life, full surrender. That's where we find the greatest peace and the greatest joy.